Good morning and greetings to each of you in the Master's name this morning. As I thought about and prepared this message, I had several conflicts. One of them was what the title should be. I went through a couple of different titles. The other one was what I should list as my, give you as my text. And so I might offer you some alternate titles as we go through the message this morning. And uh, we're going to look at several different texts. But I've been thinking that church is like our public life. You know, we can, we go out and what we put on the outside, how we present ourselves, that's our, that's our public, public presentation of who we are. And then we have a, a private, personal life. And that's what home is like. Home is like our private, personal place where we are, we are who we really are a lot of times at home. And sometimes we can, maybe we can come to church and we can dress up on Sunday morning and come to church and, and we can look good. And then through the week at home, we're not quite the same people. And I know for myself, I face that challenge of being the same person at home that I am at church. So my message this morning is about home, our homes, holiness in our homes. You can turn to Psalm 127. This is a short psalm, pretty familiar, I have a feeling, to many of you. Psalm 127, verse 1. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord keep the city, the watchman waketh but in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he giveth his beloved sleep. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As heirs are in the hand of the mighty man, so are children of thy youth. Happy is the man who hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. So, there's two things I want to notice from this, from this psalm. One of them is the blessings of a family, the blessings of a home. But the other one is the idea that except God is building that home, that the home is actually not founded on something that is worthwhile, that will, that will last. So the effort of building the home is vain if it's not built upon the Lord. Except the Lord build the house, they labor in vain that build it. Except the Lord is there building that home. Turn now to Psalm 128. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. For thou shalt eat the labor of thine hands. Happy shalt thou be, and it shall be well with thee. Thy wife shall be as a fruitful vine by the sides of thine house, and thy children like olive plants around thy t about thy table. Behold, that thus shall the man be blessed that feareth the Lord. The Lord shall bless thee out of Zion, and thou shalt see the good of Jerusalem all the days of thy life. Yea, thou shalt see thy children's children and peace upon Israel. Now, I want to notice some things here as well. One of them is that 
Thou shalt see thy children's children in peace upon Israel. And I want to just compare Israel to the people of God. Israel has been the people of God down through the years. And we'll see peace upon the people of God where God is blessing this home, this unit. But I want to go back to the first verse. Blessed is everyone that feareth the Lord, that walketh in his ways. So that home is going to, the home that is going to be blessed is the one that feareth the Lord. Number one, feareth the Lord. Number two, walketh in his ways. And so my question for you is, what are his ways? So if we fear the Lord and we walk in his ways, we're going to be blessed. So what are his ways? That takes me to my text passage. That's in 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1, verses 15 and 16. But as, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. So conversation here means manner of life or lifestyle. So be holy in all of your ways. Because, God says, I am holy. My ways are holy. So you should be holy. So another possible title for this message is Godly Homes. And godly being godlike. Okay, so that when we say something is godly, we're saying that it's godlike. So godly homes. Holy homes. What does that mean? Let's go back to verses 13 and 14. How is this going to happen? How are we going to have holy homes? Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind, be sober, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. As obedient children, not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance, but as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. And so, I read those first uh, verses 14, I mean, sorry, 15 and 16 to give you an idea of the, the whole thing of, of being godly and being holy, being connected. And then I went back to pick up 14, 13 and 14 to give you the context of what Peter is saying here. And he's giving a formula for that home, or he's giving a directive. So I want to break these verses down a little bit. Gird up the loins of your mind. What does that mean? Well, part of what that means is get ready for action. To gird up your loins is, is biblical terminology for getting ready to work, getting ready to do something. So gird up the loins of your mind. So get ready to think. Get ready to put yourself, engage yourself, engage your thinking capacity. Your mind. There was a, I don't know, maybe some of you know who I mean by Dennis the Menace. Any of you 
Well, I used to read Dennis the Menace when I was young. And I remember one Dennis the Menace comic where um, the teacher asked Dennis, what's seven plus seven? And Dennis replies to the teacher, what do you think? And she says, I don't think I know. Dennis says, I don't think I know either. <laughs> well, sometimes I don't think we go as far as Dennis did. I, I think sometimes we just say, I don't think. And I say that because it's easy for us to just not want to face and deal with the things that we face in life. It's easy for us just to let things go and not think about the implications of those things. And as we look at this passage, it's telling us that we need, and it's instructing us that we need to be thinking about life. We need to be thinking about what we're doing. We need to be doing something about it. And the very next, the very next words are be sober, and that means to be alert and watchful. So we're talking about not only thinking, but also being alert to what's happening around us and being ready to respond as things come our way. We're paying attention. And you do that because you're expecting something. You have an expectation. You have an expectation that God is going to give you grace. And so you're paying attention. And you're ready to think. You're ready to engage yourself because God is going to give you grace. And then in verse 14 it says, As obedient children... Now, obedient children are not just children who obey. They're children who desire to obey. And there's a difference there because sometimes children will obey not because they desire to obey because they realize that there's going to be consequences if they don't. They might still have a heart of rebellion. They might still, as soon as the parent turns their back, do the, do the other thing. That's not what obedient children are. Obedient children are children who desire to obey. And that's what it's calling us to here. It's calling us to have a desire, a heart that desires to obey. So what are we supposed to do from that heart? Not fashioning ourselves, not constructing our lives. That's what that, the idea of that whole thing of fashioning, the way that you put it together, the way that you put your life together. According to the former lusts, not after the desires that you had before. You had desires before that were different from the desire of wanting to be obedient to God. And you're not supposed to be constructing your life according to those desires. You're supposed to be constructing your life according to the desire to be obedient to God. Not according to those desires which came from where? They came from your ignorance. Those, those desires that you had, those lusts that you had, were a result of ignorance. And see, that goes back to your mind again. A mind without knowledge is a mind that is ignorant. So it's saying that you have knowledge now that you didn't have before. And so you shouldn't construct your life in the same way that you did before you had knowledge. 
So I pondered whether I should would be able to, to do this and and what I'm what I'm getting ready to do here, but I think since we love and care about each other, I can do it. And if you misunderstand me, you'll talk to me about it later. Okay? So I have a trick question for you. Would you like me to tell you what to do to have a holy home? And since you know it's a trick question, you're scared to answer, right? So let's just pretend that it's kind of like, you know, a joke or something and you're just playing along with it. Uh, would you like for me to tell you what to do to have a holy home? Maybe it's not as simple a question as I thought. Well, I, I don't say no. What's that? Okay, you'll say no. All right, thank you. I appreciate that. That works. Well, I would say yes because uh, with limitations, because he is a human being. Okay, <laughs> that's good. That's good. See, that's getting to the that's getting to the heart. Both of those answers are getting to the heart of some of the things that I'm thinking about here. <clears throat> I would say yes, but sometimes it's, it's a lot of so. I'm going to get maybe a little more practical in this message than what I do sometimes. So for those of you who would like me, who would like to say yes, I have some instructions for you. <clears throat> get rid of video, computer games, magazines with any form of immodesty, books with bad jokes, bad language, or sensual scenes. Don't listen to any radio talk show or secular music. Don't get the newspaper and get news or get news from the internet. <clears throat> okay so maybe somewhere in that list there's some things that you do or that you have maybe in that list there's some things you say yeah you know I agree with that but there's some limitations kind of like what John was saying well that's what I would say too if somebody read that list to me you know I would say well you know maybe some of those things aren't so necessary But you see, if you say yes to that question, then you want me to take responsibility for the holiness of your home. Because you want me to tell you what to do so that you will have a holy home. If you say no, or some of it, you're saying I am taking responsibility for the holiness of my home. Because you're deciding then what it takes to make a home holy. And the thing that I want to, the, the reason that I'm going down this road is because this scripture here in Peter is calling every one of us to take responsibility for the holiness in our homes. And it is saying that you individually have a responsibility. And you cannot shirk that responsibility and say it's somebody else's job to tell me how to have a holy home. And it's just like the whole idea of a, of, a, of a private life and a public life. Jesus wants a genuine life. He wants a life that's true throughout. And so it's, it, it's not of value to have a good 
It's, it's actually Jesus' hardest words for the people that had a, a, a nice-looking public life and a sorry private life. And it's bad news for us as a church if our church life looks good and our home life looks bad. But the church can't tell you everything to do in your home. You have to take responsibility for having a holy home. A home that's godlike, that's godly. <clears throat> and it's our natural tendency to want someone else to take that responsibility. It's our natural tendency to do that until it crosses something that we want or want to do. And then we want to take responsibility. Or we want freedom, maybe I should say. Maybe we want liberty. But it's kind of like this. It's kind of like being on a softball team. I like to play softball, so this makes a lot of sense to me. It's kind of like being on a softball team, but not ever wanting to hit or field. You just want somebody else to do it perfectly so that you win the game. And then you have somebody to blame if you don't win. But life's not like that. You see, we're all, part, we're all experiencing life. And we have to, in the figure of speech, step up to the plate and take responsibility. And I say especially for us men, we need to take responsibility for our homes. We've been given a responsibility by God and we need to not shirk that. And I'm not saying that some things that we... So I'm going I'm to tell you some practical things during this message today. I'm not saying that you can't... We can't gain value from hearing practical things from other people. We definitely can. And I don't want to minimize that, but I don't want us to be dependent want others to tell us what to do. This passage here in Peter calls us to actively be thinking and working and being alert to what's happening around us and ordering our lives in a proper way as a result of that. So maybe you have some things in your mind that you think are dangerous to have in a home. I'd be happy to hear you share some of those things. What is something that is dangerous to have in a home or something that's dangerous um, to be in a home. That's good. That goes that goes a little bit down the down the line of, of something that I'm thinking about. You know, we could actually we could actually list a lot of things that could be dangerous. We could list a lot of things that could be dangerous if used in one way and maybe okay or even helpful if they were used in another way. But James 3.8 tells us something that's in every one of our homes. But the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. And we all have that in our homes. Well, what guards what guides your tongue. Jesus said what guided your tongue was your heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaketh. And so the heart guides the tongue. Jeremiah says about the, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And so in our unregenerate condition, 
the heart is deceitful and wicked, and so the tongue is poisonous and evil as a result of that. I say that to say this, that holiness in the home begins with a dad and mom who have sanctified hearts. Unless we have sanctified hearts, unless we as parents have hearts that are sanctified by the Holy Spirit, we're not going to be able to take responsibility the way we should. We're not going to be able to guide, our homes are not going to be able to guide, to be guided towards godliness. So we have these different things in our home, whatever they might be, that could be used for good or bad. And you know, our tongue is that way. Our tongue can be used for good and it can be used for bad. But unless it's guided by the right heart, it's not going to be effective. And so it's extremely, or not going to be, not going to be good, it's going to be bad. And our homes need to be a haven of holiness for everyone who walks through the door but especially for those who live there. And it's when we're just there with those who live there that it becomes the toughest, it seems like. Maybe that's just me. So I want to talk about holiness a little bit. I want to talk about two parts to holiness. The first one is cleanness and purity. So when Dana talks about cleaning the house, she usually has one of two things in mind. Either cleaning up the dirt or cleaning up the clutter, one or the other. And I think we can apply that spiritually. Dirt, now let me read a verse first. Hebrews 12, 1 says, Wherefore, seeing we are compassed about with so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. So it's telling us here that we're, we should lay aside two things. One is sin and the other one is weight. And... So maybe, maybe they're the same thing, but I, I want to I break them apart as two separate things and look at sin in relation to dirt and the weights as relation to clutter. So sin is a spiritual dirt that ruins the purity of our home. And it can come in through a variety of, of different avenues. John mentioned the radio, and I think that's, that's one of them. There can be books or magazines or newspapers or computer or internet, pictures, posters, all those avenues. Sin can come into your home. Sin can come into your home through language, through the way that you speak. Some of these things could be useful. Some of them could be good. But what's the content of the, the things, those things in your home? Let's turn to the book of Ephesians. We'll probably be spending most of our time there, rest of our time there. That's why I had a hard time deciding on text. Was it Psalms? Was it Peter? Was it Ephesians 5? So Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, we're thinking about dirt. Ephesians chapter 5, verses 3 through 6. But fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not be once named among you as becometh saints. Neither filthiness, nor foolish talking, nor jesting, which are not convenient, but rather giving of thanks. For this ye know, that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words, because of these things cometh the wrath of God. 
upon the children of disobedience. And then, uh, I did have another passage, Galatians 5, verses 19 and 20. Now the works of the flesh are manifest, which are these, adultery, fornication, unclean, uncleanness, lasciviousness, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, variance, emulations, wrath, strife, seditions, heresies, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of which I tell you before, as I've also told you in time past, they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Both of those passages say that end with a proclamation that the people who do those things will not be part of the kingdom of God. They won't have the blessings of the kingdom. So I want to focus just a little bit on one specific area of our homes that I have a lot of concern about. Um, these different things that we're talking about, you, you, can, you, can let your, um, you can let the Holy Spirit work on the areas of your home. And, and that's what I really want to happen. I really want the Holy Spirit to work on the areas of your home in your heart and say, what do we need to change to have homes that are godly? But one specific area of our home that has replaced a lot of our books, a lot of our magazines, a lot of things is the internet. And it's real. I mean, we have it in our homes. We have a lot of us in our back pocket. So how do we properly keep our homes holy if we have the internet? And we're talking about all these different avenues of sin. And I just read you two passages that are lists of the things of people who do those things will not inherit the kingdom of God. And I think just about every one of those things is available on the internet. So I'd like to talk a little bit about, about video. Video has a tremendous amount of impact on our minds, partly because you can see so much more, like they say, a picture is worth a thousand words. We'll try a continuous moving picture. So there's a message in a 30 second video clip, there's a message sent to you that would take pages. And not only does it communicate, that it would take pages of writing, and don't, not only does it communicate a tremendous amount of information to you, but it also implies a lot of emotion. And so not only is it giving you a message uh, of information, it's also giving you an emotional message. And so video has a lot of impact. So if you think about that, if you think about video, movies, whatever, in relation to the passages that I just read, the, the content of those passages, and you think about the content of the video that you watch, how much goes across that line? How much of the video that you watch actually plays out the things in those two passages from Ephesians and Galatians? And if you're, going to have to, if you're going to have a holy home, you're going to have to cut out the video and get rid of the video that has that kind of dirty content in it, bad content, because it is changing you. It is affecting you, and it is making your home unclean and not holy. You know, we have a... As, as a church, we have, a, we have an agreement about the use of video that we've come to. 
And I want to tell you, brothers and sisters, it is a good agreement. If we were honest about the agreement that we have about video, and we used video the way that we agreed that we will, it will not be a problem for keeping our homes holy. And if you're part of the church here, I encourage you to look at our position on video and be honest with yourself about whether you're meeting that agreement. And I want to say this at this point. One of the things that concerns me about being practical is that people will sometimes think that you're lifting up an opinion or a personal standard. And I don't want this message to lift up a personal standard or an opinion. I want this message to lift up God's opinion. I want you to think and seek out God's opinion and pursue that. One of the biggest changes in my life came when I realized that it doesn't matter what I think. I know I've said this before. What matters is what God thinks. And it's the same way here. If I say something that challenges you and encourages you, go to the Word of God and look at what the Word of God says and seek out His opinion about it. Because I don't want to lift up my standard or what I say. I want to lift up His standard. <clears throat> the other thing I want to, the other area of internet use I'd like to talk about is the news. And radio would be included here. And there's two big issues that I see with news. One of them is political bias. There is a ton of political bias in every article of news on the internet. And a lot of those articles are not fact. If you read the article and you look at the fine print, it says opinion at the top. It's an opinion article. And, you know, those things are attractive to us. And we see a headline and it looks attractive. We say, well, I'm going to read this article and we're reading somebody's opinion. And a lot of times that opinion is not particularly fact-based. Same, same thing with radio, radio news. The other thing that happens with news is it comes with a lot of appeal to, sens to sensuality. And especially when you're on the internet and you're scrolling, looking at news, looking at different articles, there will just about always be some kind of sensual content that will be available if you want to click on it. And you can justify yourself if you want to and say, well, it's just a news article. But is it really? Or are you just satisfying essential desire? Another thing that I'm concerned about, and this includes just computer because I don't have to have internet always to do this, is gaming. Number one, it's violence. Often, there's often violence. Number two, there's addiction that happens as a result of, of gaming. And number three, it's not reality. There's a whole lot of unreality in video games and computer games. And the Bible and this pa the passage in 1 Peter that I read earlier is calling us to look at life from a perspective of reality, to be alert to reality. And if our minds are constantly being fed by unreality, 
then we're going to start to view life that way. It's going to affect us deeply. And there's another area that I want to talk about in the area of clutter with that that I think is important too, but I'll leave, I'll leave those where they are for now. The other one uh, that I want to talk just a little bit about is social media. Social media is full of a lot, a lot of immodesty and frivolity and also unreality. It's really easy to post on social media the things that are the highlights of the day. And then you see your friends having all these highlights and your day just was pretty rotten. And so they must have a better life than you. And so it's easier to go and read their highlights than it is to face the reality of the things that you're dealing with personally. Why do our homes need to be holy? Because they're the place where we experience life as it really is. They're the place where our children are beginning life and establishing what life is like. And so especially if we have children, this is such a vital thing because it's forming what the, how they understand life to be. How about clutter? Clutter might not be wrong in and of itself, but it slows your progress. And I don't know if you've ever been in a, in a cluttered room. I have from time to time. Toys in front of me in every direction. So you're stepping across this and around that, and maybe you're in a big hurry. You end up knocking something over and kicking things. All kinds of stuff happens when you're going through clutter. It impedes your progress. And we don't want our progress to be impeded in life. We want our progress to be forward. So I'm just going to give you something to get your mind going, okay? And I think it presents a principle more than, more than anything else. But we've read quite a few of the Bernstein Bear books over the years. Most of you are probably familiar with the Bernstein Bears. Well, in general, Dad is the joke of the family in the Bernstein Bears. And if we feed ourselves on that kind of stuff constantly... That's how we're going to view dad in the home. And that's not going to be a positive thing for our family. So I'm not saying that Bernstein Bear book is wrong. Curious George is a good little monkey, but always very curious. He was not a good monkey. He often directly disobeyed orders. And it all worked out. Is that reality? Is that life? Is that going to be productive? That's going to impede our progress as families. So let's be careful about the clutter. Things that draw our focus away from God and from what God wants us to do. So you see, that can branch out into this, this whole array of, of things that we enjoy even, things that aren't wrong in themselves. Maybe our... Um, hobbies we have to be careful about those things they don't become the clutter of our lives how about money how about the pursuit of money it doesn't take too long till the pursuit of money can become, go beyond just clutter and be seen 
where it goes beyond meeting our needs. Two big things that clutter our lives in internet usage. One is wasting time. We're going to read a passage later in Ephesians 5 about that. The other is amusement. To muse is to think. When you muse about something, you think about it. To be amused is to not think. So the reason we like amusement so much is because we like to be able to to get away from the real world and not think about the real world for a while. We want to be amused. That's not what that passage in Peter was talking about. It was talking about thinking. To gird your mind to think. So we need to be really careful about the amount of amusement that we're pouring into our lives. Another area that I'd like to talk about, about clutter, is, goes back to the whole thing of, of computer games. Children need to have, children need to, to face a real world. They need to experience a real world. And when you put a child down in front of a game and they're doing something that is not real, that's what works to form their mind. And, and their mind is being formed on something that is not real. And I believe that many of the issues that we are facing in the society in which we live today are a result of children who, are never, who never experience a real world. And part of that is gaming. See, children need to, children need to get to go out and do something that they envision in their mind. They imagine things all the time. So when they're, when they're playing church, for instance, they are not copying us. There's a different, when you're copying someone, you're doing something different. Like um, the boys do that sometimes too. They say, they say something and the other one will say exactly the same thing and everything they do, they'll, they'll do the same thing. That's copying. But when they're playing church, they're not copying. They're imagining. They're imagining themselves in a real world. And as they imagine themselves in a real world, then they act that out. And they actually face things because of it. So if they don't do things right when they play church, then their service falls apart. And so they realize that there actually takes something to do that. So maybe a child's children have such wonderful imaginations and they'll think about things, hey, we ought to make this thing. And they'll go out to describe a thing. Well, they need to have the experience of trying to put that thing together so that they can face the difficulties of the real world. Just because I can see it in my mind doesn't mean that I'm going to be able to put it together in real life with the things that I have in front of me. And so they need that exercise. They need that exercise in problem solving. So they run into a problem with this thing that they're making. And they either improvise or change it. They need that. That's an important part of their development. And if we set our children down in front of a game and all they have to do is mindlessly push buttons to get to the end of an unreal experience, they will never have proper mind development. And it's really, really important for your children. So I've talked about the negative part of holiness. I want to talk about the positive part, the second part 
The second part of holiness is, just not, is not just being empty, but it's also being full. It's not just getting rid, it's not just cleaning out, but it's also filling up the life with good things. Matthew chapter 12, verses 43 through 45. When the unclean spirit is going out of a man, he walketh through dry places seeking rest and findeth none. Then he saith, I will return unto my house from whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth it empty, swept, and garnished. Then goeth he, and taketh with him, with himself seven other spirits more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there, and the last state of that man is worse than the first. Even so shall it be also with this wicked generation. So Jesus is saying that if that house is, is cleaned, but it's left, just simply left clean, that eventually something even more evil will come back in. And I say that the, the same is true for our homes. Unless we consciously fill our homes with what is good, we will end up being more evil than we were when we cleaned the first time. Back in Ephesians chapter 2. I'm sorry, Ephesians chapter 5. We'll read verses 1 and 2. Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love, as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. And then, verses 8 through 11. For ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. So that's calling us to do something good. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth, providing what is acceptable unto the Lord, and have no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather reprove them. And then verses 15 to 21. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. Wherefore, be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit, speaking to yourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody in your hearts to the Lord, giving thanks always for all things unto God and the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, submitting yourselves one to another, in the fear of God. And then verse 33. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. And chapter 6, verses 1 to 4. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. So I want to go back to verse 18. And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. To be drunk is to have your mind altered by alcohol. To be filled with the Spirit is to have your mind altered by the Spirit of God. Be not drunk with wine. Don't be drunk with the addictions of this world. Don't be drunk with substances that are here that can never give you lasting peace. Be filled with the Spirit. That's the foundation. There's a lot of love talked about in this passage. Love for one another. Love is the commitment to the good of another. That's what love is. You're committed to the good of someone else. That's what it means to love. It means you'll sacrifice your personal pleasure to benefit those around you. 
And what does that look like practically? We'll provide our families with activities and materials that will develop the mind and body. So we're going to do what it takes to provide our families for the things that will build their minds and bodies. We will encourage our children to play with other children and help them work through the ensuing squabbles. Sometimes it's easier just not to let them play because when they play, they get in trouble. And when they get in trouble, then I have to settle it. But if I'm committed to the good of my children, I'm going to want them to play so that they can learn to relate to the real world and learn to work through those difficulties, to learn to work through those squabbles and find resolution. We'll allow them to engage in projects that we know won't turn out like they imagine. So we'll allow them to fail and we'll walk with them as they fail and be willing to love them and pick them up afterwards. We'll allow them to engage in life knowing that they won't do it perfectly. Just as others have allowed us to engage in life and not do it perfectly. The way that we need to allow each other to engage in life and not do it perfectly and still be committed to the good of one another. So in conclusion, thinking about your home. If Jesus came to your house to spend a day or two, if he came unexpectedly, I wonder what you'd do. When you saw him coming, would you meet him at the door with arms outstretched and welcome to your heavenly visitor? Or would you need to change some things before you let him in, like burn some magazines and put the Bible where they'd been? Oh, I know that you'd give your nicest room to such an honored guest and all the food you would serve to him would be the very best. And you'd keep assuring him you're glad to have him there, that serving him in your home was a joy beyond compare. But what about your family? But what about your family conversation? Would it keep up its normal pace? And would you find it hard each meal to say a table grace? Would you be glad to have him stay forever on and on? Or would you sigh of great relief when finally he was gone? You know it might be Interesting to know the things you'd do if Jesus came in person to spend some time with you. What if we had a password for the things that we let into our house? Jesus is here. If you had that password for everything that you engaged in as a family, what would it change in what you did as a family? I'll tell you what. That's a convicting question for me. As I studied for this message, there were some areas of conviction where I realized that I needed to shore up our home. Don't we believe He's there? Don't we believe that Jesus is there? Maybe we should get on our knees and invite Jesus to take a tour of our homes and tell us what He wants us to do differently and be differently. Shall we have a song?